Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Hello, I'm Tom Butler. I'm Brendan Duffy. And I'm Tom Wheatley. And you're listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us as three lifelong 007 fans go on a journey of discovery. We're on a mission to discover everything we can about cinema's greatest spy films. By learning about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind. The James Bond A to Z podcast is in no way affiliated with James Bond Eon or the Fleming Estate. We've researched each episode as extensively as we can, but our information does come from a range of sources. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we can get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something or add some more detail, email us at podcast at jamesbond8z.co.uk. Welcome back to this very special two-part episode of the James Bond A to Z podcast talking about Mr. Piers Brosnan the fifth actor to play James Bond. Uh, if you've listened to the first part, then you will have um, you know, gone on a journey with us uh, from Pierce's birth <laughs> to him landing the role of James Bond. Finally, what an odyssey that was. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're finally getting to the, 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 meat, the meat and potatoes of it, his actual Bond films. So, mm. yeah, a lot to talk about, but... Um, yeah, we don't generally talk too much about our opinions on this show. It's often, I mean, they leak out occasionally, <laughs> but we will be giving our opinions about the films in this uh, in this episode. So I'm quite excited to talk about his four Bond films, which, we, which we've all watched again very recently. Um, yeah. But I guess really to, to start us off, before we dive into Goldeneye, we should talk a bit, little bit about the context that he joined the franchise in, which was, you know, after a six-year hiatus... With Timothy Dalton leaving the role, 
and in a brand new decade um, in the nineties. And so, what what was Bond's? Yeah. You know, what, well, after after a lot of political kind of economic world factors that had changed over the course of that time, it was sure, yeah, it was a massive shift the, for the Bond series. And um, I mean, a lot of people thought that it was it wouldn't continue just because it was an old dinosaur-like character that just existed in the past. Well, was it the Cold War ended or the Berlin Wall came down in 89, didn't it, when they were make, making License to Kill or after it had come out? I can't remember. So, yeah, this was the first Cold War Bond film. And mm. so, Wheatley, you've been looking into the character, unusual really for a film, but the sort of a character Bible that was conceived at that time for Bond. Yes. Well, let me paint a picture of the late 80s, early 90s, where there is this delay in Bond and there's an uncertainty. And the last two Bond films that have been made, they did okay, but they certainly didn't extend the life of Bond with people saying, we're going to make 10 more. That wasn't a certainty by any stretch of the imagination. And that's not all. There was, of course, the, the, the Cubby Broccoli changeover, which, although didn't officially happen until Goldeneye came around, there must have been discussions about you know the changing of hands to, to Wilson and, and Barbara. So this whole period was a very tricky time and, and there's a lot of uncertainty, especially with even with like the uh, MGM as well. There was a lot happening there with how the films are going to be made, who would own the, the whole of the Bond series. So, yeah, a lot happening and a lot of uncertainty. So in comes a um, gentleman called John Cork. Now, John Cork is he's basically a man whose whose life largely is based on Bond. He's he's one of the foremost Bond knowledges, knowledges in the world. He He's written loads and loads of books, and some of them are, are, are quite famous. One with a, a gentleman called Bruce Scavalli, um, and that's the James Bond... I've got it here, actually. James Bond, The Legacy. That's what it's called. Fantastic book. Beautiful hardcover but, book, isn't it? Yeah. So Cork, he, he kind of works as this expert, and he, he creates documentaries for all of the Bond DVDs and separate programs. He writes loads of articles on Bond and he's just basically famous for just having this massive knowledge of Bond and and being involved with various projects uh, that, that that sit around it. But he his history is quite interesting. I won't go into too much depth about him because it's not specifically about Brosnan. But he, whilst working through his, his Bond projects and things like that, he eventually got involved with, um, with the actual like the broccolis in in pulling together the scripts for Goldeneye and it's his agent who who got him kind of pitch to um Broccoli and Wilson about what he could do and get him involved to help write the new script and is there's lots of information about kind of how he got involved in it and and what he did but in reality a lot of the scripts he wrote and a lot of the treatments they never got picked. He wasn't. He, he was never a scriptwriter on the Bond films, and he talks about that in quite a lot of depth, where he's saying, "Yeah, he was never meant to be a, a scriptwriter." But whilst doing it, he oddly got involved with with Barbara to write this kind of um, Bible. It's called the uh, the Bond uh, the Bond Bond in the nineteen nineties character Bible, and it's. Him and Barbara basically just read all of the Bond books, went back through all the films and just kind of reviewed what Bond was and what it should be in the future. And they asked loads of questions throughout the, this whole process where they were just meeting up every day, 
having these chats, going through what they should do. Things like, which James Bond are we developing those ideas for? What what was different about each book? Who is James Bond in the novels? How is this expressed in the, expressed in the films? How should be, it be expressed today? And it was something that had never really been done before. It was it was a this transitional time where nobody had the answers to these questions. And if they'd just done it based on previous films, they probably wouldn't have evolved it in the way that they did. So he, he just wrote this this kind of big Bible and it, it doesn't exist as a, it's not a book. It's not a, it doesn't exist. You can't buy it, but it's just a big pile of notes that he's pulled together, which he suggests that they're still using to this very day. And there might be numerous rewrites of it and people might be adding to it. Nobody really knows, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the springboard for it. And um, it's uh, yeah, it, it's shaped what the decisions that they made as they, they kind of pulled in Brosnan and started making Goldeneye. It'd be amazing to have a look through those documents. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how much he doesn't really talk in depth about what's in it. He he just really says what it was. But I, can't, I can imagine there's a lot of Craig stuff in there as well. I mean, that's yeah. it's got to have so many ideas in it. I think one of the cornerstones from from, from what I understand is that the t- times have changed, but Bond hasn't. And I think that really defines the Brosnan era in a way, right? Because what we see across his four films is very much a bringing up to date of the, let's say, the milieu that Bond lives in, the MI6, mm. the cars, the gadgets. They're all very much, you know, up up to 89. They're all very much rooted in, in the past, but Bond in the Brosnan era really starts to look forward to the future, right? Yeah, um, there's a quite an interesting... Um, quote that he says about it he's he explains that it's just a really detailed document but he, he talks about how they they could hand it to screenwriters or departments or, or business people and say this is what we work from you can use it if you want you may not want to do it but this is where we start off from so when when they come up with these ideas they're not just starting from zero and because there's a lot of people who probably come to work on it and they don't they're not a bond knowledge they don't it's not mm. like a they don't have a style sheet for bond but this is essentially a style sheet for bond and you can go through it and go, actually, cross that out because that we're not having that in anymore. We're changing that. But it just gives us nothing to work It's for. a common concept in TV, especially on uh, sitcoms and animated shows. And I know from reading the um, Mark Edlitz book recently, that James Bond Jr. had a very similar character Bible, which sort of mm-hmm. explains everything about the character and everything about the world. And to have that yeah. is really important, especially in that period in the 90s. But they don't know exactly what Bond is. This is a time to say, this is what Bond is. And yeah, this is who yeah. he is. And this is where oh, Pierce Brosnan ne- steps into, right? Yeah, I imagine it's a necessity. And as those, it's probably as a response to, I mean, you've got 30 years of films or around that before GoldenEye. And if you don't like hold it in, anything could happen. You've got to, you've got to realise, you've got to have some kind of structure behind it. Otherwise it's just going to mess. I don't, I don't imagine like, the Fast and the Furious films have one, but if they eventually got to a few more films, they might start saying, "Right, we need to have some consistency here." But, um, but yeah, that's probably the most important thing that's happened in terms of the the kind of storyline before Goldeneye and sets up quite nicely as to the decisions that were made and uh, uh, everything that happened after that. Really, let's dive into Goldeneye then. So, who wants to start off? by talking about GoldenEye. Obviously, this is this is Brosnan's debut, 1995. I think, I'm going to just put it out there, I think it's his best Bond film. I don't think that's... Yeah, I think that's... Too that's bold a claim. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. Yeah, it's the only one that I ever really think I really want to watch this film. What do you think about Brosnan in this film? I think he's, I mean, he's a little bit wet behind the ears. And that, and that crops up in a lot of <laughs> interviews that you see with him. Obviously, he's new to the role. There's a, I imagine out of all of the Bonds, that was probably one of the most difficult first Bond films to do because there was so much uncertainty. There's there's four Bonds before you that have done it, so it gets must get increasingly hard every time to kind of follow up what, what you're doing. Um, but yeah, I think he's he's brilliant in it. He's he really really does a good job. Yeah, I think right from the get go, that iconic opening scene and his first delivery of uh, the Bond James Bond line. I don't think he falters. Maybe he's a bit a bit nervous, like you say. He's he's not quite got into into the confidence of the role yet. But he, you never doubt for a second that he is Bond. Yeah, absolutely. That first scene is just gives me chills thinking about it. The dive yeah. off the off the dam. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's not him a lot of the time, which is quite interesting. You, I think you get the close up of the eyes. Yeah. But then when you do finally see him. You got to say he is devastatingly handsome. Ah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah, he yeah. absolutely looks the part. He looks mm-hmm. like the lady killer that James Bond. You expect James Bond to yeah. be, but perfect for for when it was released as well. Because he, but people say, oh, he's quite like Moore. He's quite like Sean Connery. He's not like to put him next to them. He's not very similar to any of those. He's he's his own Bond, and he, he, he as soon as he starts, you go, oh, this is interesting. He's he's this is a. Well, I can, I can, I can stick with this. He, he's closer looking to Dalton, right? He, I think you could say the same about Dalton. He is an impressive man to look at in those two films, hmm. and 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 Brosnan comes in and he's a bit more, bit more matinee idol than than Dalton, but he just yeah. has the, he just has the delivery and the timing that is just absolutely perfect for Bond. Yeah. And he looks like he can handle himself when he in the fight scenes. I mean, apart from the sound effects that he makes. Um, <laughs> which get gradually more crazy as they go on but it, it just in goldeneye he just he looks the part he he, he walks the, the walk he talks the he, i mean he's, he talks the talk and his accent goes a bit all over the place in places but um yeah yeah but the great thing about it is there's there was such a gap before that moment but it's not like this is an introduction to a new bond but it doesn't feel like it you, you totally believe that he's bond it's not Oh, you don't step back. Like, yeah, there was definitely none of the Daniel Craig stuff. No, exactly. Like, like with Daniel Craig. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just think it was great. It's a great script as well, which, yeah, yeah, it really, yeah, yeah, it really barrels along at a great pace. I think it's got a great villain. Honor Top is great. Yeah. Um, I always forget what the other lady's called, but um, Isabella Scalpino, uh, she's great as well. Yeah. It's it's funny. It's got good twist. And what's interesting from reading about it, it's one of the lower budget bonds, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was made at a cut price. And I think that really helps it. That, yeah. Especially when we look at the, 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 the ones that come after, because I think they're very economical with what they do. Yeah. And there's no not, big like not... crowd scenes. Nope. Any no. action sequences are very closely choreographed and in a very tight controlled environment, which just yeah. really helps, I think. And they used a lot of miniatures in that as well, didn't they? Yeah, to, to to save and and it looks so impressive. Like I didn't even know until I'd watched a documentary about the making that a lot of it was uh, modelled. With Derek Meddings, isn't it? His final film did mm. did many of the Bond films, but um, 
Yeah, I think obviously, obviously the one thing I think that always lets that film down is the soundtrack, which we've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it really is the weak point. But that's not yeah. Brosnan's fault. <laughs> not Brosnan's fault. Let's move on from Eric Serra. <laughs> Let's save that for 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 that. And I guess the, the thing about Brosnan in that film, yeah, he looks the part. He really takes the takes the role by its two by by both with both hands and goes for it. And actually, something I really enjoy about that first film is the how they've you know it's a reboot and they just sort of start again with the world of Bond. You've got the new M. Yeah, you've got a new MI6 headquarters, which I just love that that world with the beige like corridors and yeah. all that sort of stuff. But also they give you the, the 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 nuggets of you know the DB5 and the callbacks, the Cold War. It's, it's post Cold War, but it's set. It's about the Cold War as well. Yeah, um, yeah. It does change the format of Bond a bit. Not a lot. It it's still firmly rooted in the previous films. And it's the same with Brosnan. He's not a he's not a new Bond in the Daniel Craig sense. They've not completely mm. come up with a, a new a new character and changed the whole format. He's still the same Bond. They've just twitched like slightly tweaked it so that he's a bit different. And I think and you, as you were saying, Brendan, that's why people accepted it. It wasn't too scary. They yeah. nobody complained. Everyone's I seem to remember. Well, everyone thought he was going to be Bond five years earlier. Anyway, six years earlier. Yeah. So it wasn't a surprise when he came around. There's probably. Probably part of it where they said, "Well, we've already kind of done this, so don't have to worry about any problems of him coming in." Yeah. But yeah, he was definitely a, he just fit rather nicely into that that role, and um, it wasn't a surprise to anyone. Yeah. Interestingly, that that first the opening scene at the beginning that is set in 1986. Ah, how interesting! When he originally got the role, so maybe they did that. On purpose, but I thought that's quite a nice nod to the fact he did get to play Bond in 1986. After all, how funny! Yes. That's good. I never noticed that. It's a great what if, isn't it? Like what what if he had got the role at that point? Would we have got mm. a film like this? Who knows? Well, I I didn't know when to to talk about this in, until the end or at the start of his film series. But um, I think that is an interesting point, and it does crop up in a lot of the documentation and websites and stuff I've read. Is that he often says that he's glad he didn't get. It in the eighties, he's, mm-hmm. he's glad that he didn't get it in nineteen eighty six because he wasn't ready. Yeah. And you can imagine that when you see him at the start of Goldeneye, he seems—I know he's not young, but he seems quite young in it. He's 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 quite fresh faced. You imagine that six years younger, it's yeah. it's going to have a different feeling altogether. He it seemed like he came in at the right time, and he's he's obviously done a lot more work. There was a load more films he'd done between that time period. He just seemed he he just. He just says he's more confident and he was ready for it, and um, and that's that's quite important. And, and I imagine they're so careful not to get people in who aren't ready for it because it just won't work. But but also, who who's to say if he had got it in the eighties, there, there still would have been that dispute anyway in the nineties. So would he have come back after that? You know, who knows? That's yeah. an interesting, yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting um, thing to ponder, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, but I guess I guess also the fact that he got it later was enabled him to go from Remington Steel to do a few big movies, right, and earn his yeah. earn that experience to be able mm. to step onto a Bond set and just command command yeah. the the performance that he that he does. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's just such but a also, cool- I, there's a thing I also find about Brosnan from reading about all of his kind of 
history and he's got a very and we've talked about this in the previous podcast about all the things that have happened to him he's got such a kind of complex life and it's a lot of you know heartache and problems that have happened throughout it and he was still going through that during this whole period before Goldeneye there was a lot of stuff he had to to go through and I always feel that in his earlier days he felt like he was desperate for the fame and he was desperate to make make a name for himself but in reading the stuff up until Goldeneye it didn't seem like that was the most important thing anymore because he he'd kind of got that out of his way he'd done a lot more since then so he was a lot he was ready for Bond then he wasn't just chasing the fame he and the and the role he was he'd grown into it and he did it for the right reasons yeah shall we move that's just my take though shall we move on from Goldeneye yes <laughs> let's do it so what happened after Goldeneye so to be uh, what when becoming Bond he asked Eon uh, if he was allowed to work on other projects in between the Bond films and they gave him they they gave him the request they said he could do that and so in between he would make it, make films in between uh, uh, being in the other Bonds so he also formed a production company in 1996 called Irish Dreamtime and that was with his longtime friend Beau St. Clair and he says when Goldeneye had the success it had we said let's make movies let's step forth and create our own projects and it's as simple as that really so they established the production company and they had the backing from MGM so that that obviously helps and they went on to produce 12 films the first one was called The Nephew in 1998 and the second one is probably the biggest and most well known it's The Thomas Crown Affair we'll, we'll cover later on in the episode because uh, there's a lot of films that he's involved with but he, he said about the production company the films I've made with this company are close to my heart. The greatest being one of them and Evelyn being another. So this is a, a kind of a passion project for him. Everything he, he gets scripts sent and he'll do it if he wants, you know, if he's, it interests him or it means something to him. Sadly, in 2016, Beau St. Clair died at the age of 63 after a 10-year battle with ovarian cancer. And if you remember from the previous uh, podcast, his wife died also from ovarian cancer. So it's another pang of tragedy for Pierce. And he said, Bo was the sister I never had, my dearest friend for 30 years. She was a wonderful, beautiful woman in every way. She had style, grace, humour, intellect, and a kind heart that I will forever miss. Uh, so since 2016, the company hasn't made any more. I guess it might not be something he wants to pursue without Bo. So uh, as well as that, he was in Mars Attacks. Probably remember he was the professor, Professor Donald Kessler. I remember that well. Didn't we go to cinema to see that, Butler? Yeah, he's a head in a jar, isn't he? <laughs> well, that's how he ends up. He is later on, yeah. Yeah, I watched the clip and it's just his head rolling around. So he yeah, he did that. Hugh Grant was actually supposed to be cast in that role. But uh, mm. Piers, Piers Brosnan came along and... Uh, also touted to be Bond at one point. I know. Yeah, there's a lot. There's quite a bit of crossover with Brosnan and uh, co-stars and, and people he's replaced. Yeah. He did Robinson Crusoe. If you remember, he was just going off to shoot that when he got the Bond role at the when he was revealed at the press conference. An absolute flop, by all accounts. Mm-hmm. There's quite a lot of flops, isn't there? In in this, there is a flops. <laughs> there is a lot of flops. Yeah, and uh, Dante's Peak. I I. It's one of those films that I've never seen. And I don't know why, because I feel like I I know it very well. But didn't it come around the same time as 
volcano or something, wasn't it? There is a rival volcano film that came out at the same time, wasn't there? Yeah, I always get them mixed up. Well, this was 1997, um, yeah, and he played played the lead role. So that that was his gap in between Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies. It's a good gap. He's got a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, and he's created a production earlier... company. So, Well, a lot of the earlier, they were a lot stricter with the earlier Bonds, weren't they, with the films mm. that they could make. But yeah. by, by the time I got around to Brosnan, they seemed a lot more open to other films happening. And films where, what were those early rules, uh, uh, rules that they used to have with, like Connery and... Um, more and, and Lazenby where you, you couldn't act in a film unless they signed it off and said that's fine that works for Bond you can't have long hair or something in a film yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah he's definitely not fitting by any rules is he making these films so then we come to Tomorrow Never Dies so we're in this great period for Brosnan and the Bond films where they were able to to, to bash them out to once every two every other year. So we had Goldeneye in ninety five, Tomorrow Never Dies in ninety seven. Um from all accounts, this was a bit of a tumultuous uh production. They didn't really have a script when they mm. started. Um they really struggled to nail what the script would be beforehand. It's the one where they had a whole writer's room, including um uh Nicholas Meyer. Um, he he came up with the idea, I think, of the um, media mogul, or, or or like maybe no, he maybe didn't come up with the idea of the media mogul, but basically it was a bunch of writers, and they were brought in to try and crack the script. And yeah, I think that caused possible tensions on the film, and I really feel like you can get that sense when you watch Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, mm. well, yeah, well, I I, I read that. Um... MGM had given a ridiculously tight de- deadline. They wanted it done by December 1997, and it had to be done by then. And and Wilson says it was the tightest deadline they'd ever done. It was almost impossible to do that. Mm. So, and yeah. it, what, what did he say? They, if normally if the script isn't right, you push back the production. You don't launch unless the script's right. But they couldn't do that. They had that's probably why they had so many scriptwriters to try and make up the time. But um, yeah, it was a, a really crammed shoot and i mean that that was just the start of the problems there's there were loads more problems with spottiswood and and arguments on set and all this kind of stuff from from what i've heard where yeah it's definitely wasn't a, a smooth sailing production Brosnan himself didn't get on with terry hatcher did he no he didn't yeah it's i guess we'll cover that when we get to carver the sea for carver um in that episode yeah. but um yeah i mean that can't help right <laughs> Particularly when I understood that he he wanted Terry Hatcher for the film as well. Yeah. Mm. Well, I I heard I read that I think it was Spotterswood who wanted Terry Hatcher, um, but there was a, there were other people in the running for it as well that th- the rest of the production crew would would have preferred. Um, but yeah, he definitely. I've, there's quite a lot of quotes from him where he's. I mean, it's, it's a bit like the Roger Moore, Grace Jones scenario where. He, he's got a few quotes that he's... I've, I'll read you one here just to, to finish it off. But um, she acquitted herself grandly in many ways. I am sure she will learn as she goes on. A bit of humanity and a bit of grace and a bit of charm go a long way. Which, uh, yeah, oh. sums it up quite nicely from Pierce. So, yeah, what do you make of this film overall? The film's very poor and it's... I would say it's the weakest of his four. Wow, bold claim. Bold claim. No, I'd agree. I'd agree. But... Well, actually, no, I'd agree to an extent. <laughs> I think as as a whole, it's probably the weakest 
consistently. Yeah, the package. Like, the yeah. whole the whole film just kind of blends into one high octane amorphous series of events for me. I don't I can't remember anything where I really like a scene. But yeah. having said that, it's just if you like that, you've got a consistent run of action and yeah, you know that kind of stuff. So I, I don't think Brosnan's at fault. Though not at all, no, he's not, good in it. This, I think this is not it, yeah. his fault. Yeah, if if there's one you know positive, it is Brosnan's performance. Yeah, well, uh, Wilson said uh, said of um, Brosnan in the film, uh, in Pierce we have a Bond who is now confident and comfortable in the role, and you can see that he is very confident. He yeah. apparently put on quite a lot of muscle as well for the role, so he he's mm-hmm. a bit bulkier. Um, he's really he just looked confident and like you'd yeah. expect from Bond. The difference between him in Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies is quite different if you in terms of yeah. how kind of sure they are of themselves. He he looks imposing, doesn't he? He looks quite dangerous. Yeah. And it but this film obviously benefits from having the David Arnold score um yeah. over the last one. So this starts to feel you know, Goldeneye you would almost say stands alone from the his following three films in that it is quite different. Whereas the next three, Tomorrow Never Dies, World Is Not Enough, Die Another Day, feel very much three of a part, right? And and that yes. part of that is is David Arnold, but I think he's great in it. I think um, I really like Wei Lin, the the Michelle Yeoh character. Don't really buy their chemistry together. Um, mm. The stuff the stuff with Terry. There's not a lot of chemistry. With anyone in the film, really, <laughs> I don't think any of the actors work well together. Even like Jonathan Price, he just seems uh, the concept not a pun on the film, but a fish out of water. The concept's great, though. I think the the idea of a media mogul who can control the news and who can like start wars and end wars, yeah. I think that's really interesting, and you can sort of see where yeah. it's coming from. But I just this film for me is it's just a slog. It really is yeah. a slog from start to finish. For me, it. it it's a lot of writers throwing lots of ideas and on paper the media mogul you know setting up walls is a good idea but it's not in the film context it isn't and I, and one of the problems with it is it's not a timeless bond film because it's so dated There's so many factors in it that are dated the, some of the actors are dated some of the scenes that just don't work anymore whereas look at the, some of the older bonds they they steer away from trend-based yeah. things going on. Um, and GoldenEye doesn't really have any of that. And and that's what makes GoldenEye timeless, I think, in that it, it doesn't matter when you watch it. Whereas, yeah, Tomorrow Dies, it just seems like a 90s film. You watch one of those 90s films like True Lies. True Lies was a big factor, isn't it, in the in the early Bond, uh, Brosnan Bonds, where I think they watched True Lies and said, oh, we've got a, we've got, we can't release a Bond that's not as good as True Lies. We've got to match it for pace, for special effects for actors and it yeah, they tried that and it, it that for me Toronto Dies feels like they're trying to make it a, a, a true lies mm. but not quite right it's got that whole open sequence hasn't it with the the jet planes being used like mm. in, a, in a shootout that's very true lies in itself right um yeah but but, but exactly Brosnan it's not his fault he's very good in it I think he, he does a tremendous yeah. job in it and um I, he's enjoyable to watch in it yeah that stuff I like this stuff again like I said with Michelle Yeoh in um where they're supposed to be in... I don't even know where they're supposed to be. Is it supposed to be in Vietnam, but... Shanghai. Shanghai. Is it? Yeah. Is it Shanghai? Wherever they filmed it. Um, I love that stuff on the motorbike. That's just classic Bond um, to me. Yeah. Um, and and he really pulls that off. Yeah. And, and then the stuff in the shower afterwards. You know, that, that, that to me is vintage Bond and that's Brosnan at his best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, that, I think he's peak Bond in this. I think he was just... 
everything about him was just he he hit the high notes in terms of everything he did. He looked, he sounded, he was just he was just good. It's just a shame that he didn't get to use it better. Yeah, dealt with poor script. It's really yeah. frustrating. Mm. Dealt a lot of poor stuff in yeah. that film. <laughs> so what happens after Tomorrow Never Dies for Brosnan? Um, he goes on and makes um makes some more films in in the gap. Ninety eight, he does Quest for Camelot and the Nephew, but nineteen ninety nine is where he makes Thomas Crown Affair, which was a huge success. It's a remake of the 1968 Steve McQueen. Um, a surprise success after a series of remakes that did very badly in Hollywood. Yeah, definitely. And um, there's a slight bit of backlash about him playing the lead role as well. But I watched it the other day, and yeah, it, it still stands up now. It's like 20, 22 years on, and it's it's a solid, solid fare. And he, he, yeah, so he plays a, a billionaire who uh, steals art for fun, basically. That's the easiest way of putting it. And um, the investigator, he ropes her into his world. And a uh, bit of cat and mouse ensues. It's, um, it's good. I enjoyed it. And I think, again, he's very good in it. You know, mm. Charming, suave, classic Brosnan. They're remaking it again, um, I think. Surprise, are they? Yeah, I think I don't know if I remember this right. Michael B. Jordan possibly doing it, but um, mm. it's a good concept. Never beat Brosnan. <laughs> um, b- before we before we go on to his next film, he also and this was actually I I, I couldn't quite get the time right of this, but um, he also got a his star on the Walk of Fame in Hollywood. Mm. I think this was during filming for Tomorrow Never Dies because Michelle Yao uh, and Desmond Llewellyn were there at the time where he. He was doing this little speech, and uh, there's not a lot of information about. It's, I mean, it's, it doesn't seem like a massive thing, really. He he he, he does a uh, does a bit of a speech at the event, really short speech. It's like it's like I don't know, twenty seconds, and then just goes off, and then does a couple of interviews. Um, but yeah, it's uh, if you're interested, it's seven o two one Hollywood Boulevard, and it's been there from the twelfth of March, nineteen ninety seven. So. Uh, if you're ever in, ever in town, check it out. So now we come to Brosnan's third film, the third film on his James Bond deal, in fact, um, The World Is Not Enough. This is released in 1999. For me personally, I think it's a it's a step up in quality from Tomorrow Never Dies. But actually, when you read online, that's not necessarily the um, consensus no. among Bond fans. Mm-hmm. Many Bond fans think Tomorrow Never Dies is the superior film to mm, The World I've Is Not this, Enough. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not sure entirely sure why that is. I think The World Is Not Enough is it's pretty good. It's got you know it's got its faults. But uh, it's also got a lot of interesting stuff going on in it. This is obviously the one with Reynard and Electra and the oil pipeline. There is some weird stuff that goes on in it, like the, the whole caviar thing. And <laughs> don't think, obviously, we get introduced to John Cleese as Q, and mm. not a fan of that. And also, why does why does MI six spend all its time in Scotland? I'm never really sure. Yeah, it's is strange, that isn't it? Like they go they go to the funeral and they what, they stay, just stay there yeah, in stay Scotland. There. Is it because of the exp- it's the explosion in, in MI six? Y- yeah, Must but be. it doesn't. Yes, it doesn't. Yes. It doesn't wipe the face of it off like uh, 
like in Skyfall. In Skyfall. No, no, it's just a just one room, yeah. isn't it? Wait, is it Skyfall that happens yeah. in? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, but but actually, I feel like it, it it makes much more of an attempt to entertain the audience, and it moves along at a much more interesting pace, I think, than Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, um, yeah. it's much more cohesive. Yeah. And again, Brosnan just seems to be really enjoying himself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, World Is Not Enough is, I think, it's seen by a lot of people and probably um, by by Wilson and, and Barbara that that was their first real chat. Because of the problems on Tomorrow Never Dies, this was the first time they had, they, they, they realised the mistakes they'd made on Tomorrow Never Dies. Obviously, Goldeneye, Cubby was still around. It wasn't all their decisions. Tomorrow Never Dies was the first Broccoli Wilson produced Bond film but it had a lot of problems and the world's not enough they 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 wanted to right the wrongs of Tomorrow Never Dies they wanted to give it more time they wanted to get proper a really detailed script in and really and really put the effort in and I think that shows and I, and I think um I, I, there's there's quite a lot of interesting references to, to the film but there's there's one um which Neil Purvis who's one of the the script writers on it he says he talks a bit about how they they wanted to make it more Hitchcockian and add a bit, add a bit more depth to to the kind of story, and a little bit more twisty. And there is a twist, twist in it, which I mean, it's not exactly Hitchcockian, but it's um, <laughs> it's definitely a little bit more in, involved than, than than a lot of the kind of more simpler. And sure, I've died. Certainly, at no point would you class that as Hitchcockian. Mm. Um, yeah. And then Brosnan talk when he talks about the world is not enough. He says uh, he kind of embraced this uh, ability to to kind of show off what he could do, and he says, I don't just want to run around with a machine gun from start to finish. Having big, punchy set pieces is a hallmark of the Bond films, but I also want to be tested as an actor, and my character is more of a flesh-and-blood man. So you can kind of see yeah. he's, he's really looking forward to getting his teeth into something a bit more, and I imagine after Tomorrow Never Dies, that was a, a welcome treat. And he also talks about how it's just much easier to work on his third film. He he no longer had to worry about the press saying he he's a new Bond he wasn't. He didn't feel like he was getting judged every time he did anything. He just, just, and then even in Tomorrow Never Dies, he probably felt a bit of that because, you know, you've done one film, a lot of Bonds have done one film, and then, and then the mm. second one isn't quite as good. But, um, yeah, he's just felt confident and no longer, you know, under review by everyone, and he just felt he could just embrace it. I do think this really benefits from. We spoke about Michael Apted in previous episode. It yes. really benefits from his direction as well. Yeah. The, the characters yes, still more fleshed out, and you can see that they've, that, you know, yeah. they've worked. And, and Electra is a really good character. Yeah, well, you can kind of see that there, there's there's echoes of of what would later come in in Diana, uh, in Casino Royale with Craig, mm-hmm. in that they're trying to add depth to Bond. They're trying to yeah. make him upset about things. They're trying to make him feel a bit more about the. The, the characters like Electra, and I think to an extent it does work, and he comes off very well in it. I think he 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 looks like a, a very good actor in it. One of the, by far one of the best Bonds acting is in that film. Yeah. So yeah, possibly it's, it's the, definitely maybe the torture scene. I would yeah. question. <laughs> well, yeah, there, there's <laughs> a few scenes in it. Alan Partridge. <laughs> but I think this is the problem with the film. I think it's there's there's a consistency issue with it, uh, and not as much as Die Another Day, but. You know, you've got the Christmas Jones stuff and you've got some other elements of it where it loses it. I don't know why, but it, it's not... If it, they just carried it on as, as, as the same style throughout, it would have been good. But yeah, at some point, it just loses a bit of that character consistency. There's, there's one point weak. that jumps out to me and it's when... You know when um, Electric King's on TV 
crying and he touches the screen. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. I, why? <laughs> is, I don't know. Is this a show that he's like got feelings? He, you can imagine Sean Connery doing that. <laughs> Punch the screen. Yeah. <laughs> he's easily aroused, Brosnan. <laughs> yeah. Well, they tried it with To One Ever Dies, didn't they? With, with, um, with Paris when they tried to make it really sombre when she mm. gets killed. Yeah. And he's sat depressed. Doesn't work. And obviously tried it again with this one, um, but taking it a little bit too far with the TV touching. Mm. But this one really expands the relationship between Bond and M, I think, which really, really helps to um, add a bit, bit of depth. And, and it's the first one, you know, where M really gets pulled into the story yeah. Yeah. Um, in a significant way, which is something that obviously then carries on into the, the Craig era. They're, you could still say it's a precursor to, to, to the Skyfall situation, right? Oh, yeah. They've definitely put a lot of more effort into the characters in this. Even the secondary characters are far better. Uh, the characters that work for MI6. What's Who's your favourite character that you're always talking about? Tanner. Tanner. The, the Tanner in this is very good. He's, um... Oh, and, and, and Colin Salmon as well, the character he plays. Yeah. I really like him. Yeah. Yeah. He's such a good part of the Brosnan era. Again, he was talking about, as I mentioned, the, the milieu of the... Of the uh, of the Brosnan era, he's such a big part of yeah. that. Yeah, I love him. I love Tanner. I love M. I yeah. love I love MI6 HQ. It's all fleshed out, like... isn't it? It's properly fleshed out. It's not vanity like Tomorrow Never Dies. It's there's everything yeah. happens for a reason to a point until you get to Christmas to Jones. Then it well, as we said in an earlier one, that's the scriptwriter was off that day. Yeah, <laughs> she's um yeah. I think I I think read this right that they didn't, she wasn't the first choice and she was a studio hire possibly yeah, for that I film that Denise well. Richards but yeah I think this is I I think this is a, is a solidly you know decent Bond film it's not one of my favourites but but Brosnan's really good in it yeah. um, I always look at it as probably the meteor of the four Brosnan films I think there's more more in it than the other ones it's not my favourite but I just think there's depth to it. And when I think about it, I don't think about it and think, oh, I don't want to watch that. Mm. Well, there's depth. It's got budget. It's got a soundtrack that's decent. Yeah. So, yeah, it is yeah. more of a an experience, a Bond experience, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's a good Saturday afternoon bank holiday job, yeah. right? Which I guess they take to, a, to, to another level in the next one. But um... <laughs> Oh, the next one. We're not there yet. <clears throat> so what, what happens after the world is not enough? Oh, actually, worth mentioning that... Um, after the world is not enough, they ran trade uh, adverts for Bond, calling Brosnan their billion-dollar Bond. Have you seen those? No, no. Because his three films had made a billion dollars oh, um, yeah. in 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 total, which I, for him obviously was a huge, you know, seal of approval. And with his contract up, that, that then left him in, in a great uh, place to negotiate for for the next film. And actually, they gave him a bit more time for the next film. Yeah. Mm. So what happened after The World Is Not Enough? Well, he did one film in between The World Is Not Enough and Die Another Day. And it's another espionage. It's a John le Carré thriller called The Tailor of Panama. Either of you seen this? <sighs> it's one of those ones that I've completely forgotten about. But now you've mentioned it, I always thought I should watch that. I might get, it hasn't even cropped up in me searching through Amazon and Netflix for films, no. but... Yeah, I wouldn't mind giving that a go. Yeah, me too, after just having a, a little read. It's got Jeffrey Rush in it. and um, Yeah, uh, Pierce Brosnan plays an MI6 spy called Andy Osnard. So, you know, he's, he knows, knows how to play an MI6 agent, doesn't he? So it's got relatively good reviews. 
So I think that that is one to look out for. And obviously in 2001, the September 11th attacks happened, which then go on to change the course of Bond and have have an effect on how the producers treat Bond moving forward. Brosnan basically in that window of the Cold War ending and the war on terror. He he slots right into the middle of that. And then yeah. and then that's it. Book ended. Book ended. Yeah. Yeah. Because then, of course, he goes to goes on to to make Dawn of the Day, and they started um, production. Uh, I think it was a couple of months after the nine eleven attacks. So already, it's it's already in pre production. So of course, you know, it's going to be made. And obviously, when it's when it's released, well, we're going to talk about it now. But it it you know can seem quite jarring to the world that it's released into in two thousand and two. Die another day, then. <laughs> Die another day. Finally, we're here. Which we, really interestingly, we we all watched this very very close together. Brendan, you watched it ahead of yes. us. And what? Tell us your initial reaction because I found it really interesting. Right. So I went in thinking this is going to be awful. I don't know how much of this I can even get through. I think at what point am I going to turn this off? And. The opening, the opening scene is is fantastic. It's a great concept. Bond getting captured. That's that's fantastic. Hovercrafts. Yeah, the hovercraft yeah. chase. Brilliant. And it and it kept going on, and I was like, I'm actually enjoying this. And I got to the end and thought it was nowhere near. It's not in my bottom five. I mean, that's you know, that's a a bigger praise I can give it. I think. I I would say I I would agree i think it was much better than i expected it to be uh on revisiting it's not one i revisit very often i feel like i've watched the start of it quite a few mm. times and either fallen asleep or <laughs> been too drunk for it or whatever um but it is a great concept but the problem is it's, it feels like there's a there's a conflict at the heart of it yeah where possibly the writers have wanted to make because it's the 40th anniversary, right? They wanted to make this 40th anniversary celebration film harking back to the, you know, the classics and try to make a gritty spy film. And it does have that to a certain extent. Yeah. And then it just turns into a cartoon. <laughs> uh, from what I understand, Lee Tamahori had a lot to do with that. He sort of really wanted to push the boundaries of making it cartoony and CGI heavy. Yeah. And and that's where, where the conflict is. But... It does get really. It, it starts off really well, and then when it gets to the ice palace, and you've got the exploding hand puncher things, whatever they are, the, ex- the electric gloves, yeah. and then the lasers, and it's just gadget after gadget after gadget after gadget, yeah. and it's just like you just think you've just gone too far. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm gonna jump on your parade here because I didn't have that response to the film. I. <laughs> I I I didn't think it was as bad as I'd initially thought. It might because I I don't think I've watched it for about five years, maybe more, maybe eight years or something like that. I think I've actively avoided it. Every time there's an opportunity to respond to film, never watch it. But I hate that first sequence where he's captured. I just don't I just don't think it's Bond. It just seems too, there's too much going on there, and him with the beard, and he's had eighteen months out. It just I just don't. I think it's too 
too much for Bond. I don't want that information about Bond. I don't want him to go that in depth. Uh, I don't want him to be a prisoner of war. And part of the reason why I like a lot of the Bond films is is that they sit in this kind of silo storyline where the story arc is the one Bond film and you throw him into it, he deals with it and he gets out of it. But that, and then that, they keep him in, keep him in cling film until the next one. Yeah, that's what yeah. I want. That's that keeping him permafrost. Yeah, yeah, it does. It doesn't work for the Craig ones, but but with this one, I think this is the first time where you really they try and pad out like why he's doing stuff later on. Like he's been there for eighteen months. There's a, a strange question around him not being trustworthy anymore because he might have been you know affected by being a prison war for 18 months which they then forget about quite quickly and they're not they're not too worried about it but it just feels like it's a quite a big subject to throw in not to do it properly because they forget about it quite quickly and it's like well he's just been prison war for 18 months he's forgotten about that now it's not affected him in any way they don't even address it if it was if that was craig era he'd have ptsd he'd have all sorts of things mm. going on but yeah. it's it's a semi like they're trying to do one film and then ignoring the fact that they've done that, moving on to the next thing, and it just doesn't quite work for me. But what I think with I think Brosnan is very good in it. I think he's he he he's yeah he, he plays the role brilliantly, and I think there's a very good Bond film in there. So after that first sequence where he goes back, he's in prison war for eighteen months, and then that whole he sees Jinx, he starts doing this quite interesting story arc. There's 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 you're watching it thinking this is getting good now. I I don't know what's happening. There's a few good characters in it. And as you say, it spirals into nonsense. Mm. And I think it's nonsense that Bro- it doesn't suit Brosnan. He's too... He's he's like, not too old, but he's he's being thrown into a world which is the true lies world of loads of things going on, lots of technology and all these kind of like... I won't talk too much about the invisible car, but it just feels like he's out of place. And he at one point, he's in place in that film and it works. And it and then it shifts and suddenly you just go, yeah, he's he's not in the right place anymore and he 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 hasn't got a hold on that character anymore. And then yeah, as, and I think that that's the same with a lot of the characters in it. I think Jinx starts off promising and you kind of go, okay, she's quite interesting. She just I don't even know what she is by the end of it. It's like mm. she's not even explained. She's just an agent that follows him around and he saves occasionally. It's just odd. So yeah, I. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it, but I think it it saddens me because I think it could have been really good if they just not messed about with it. Yeah. I've got to say, that scene where he meets Gustav Graves in the fencing club, bar Madonna, I think is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I think that was the moment where I thought, yeah, this is classic Bond. This could have been like... Yeah. It felt they were setting him up to be like a Hugo Drax type character. Mm. I mean, he's, the, t- the plot twist around him doesn't make any sense no, whatsoever. No. But, um, but I think that scene in, is a perfect explanation of the film because that scene could have been perfect but they messed it up by throwing in madonna and everything yeah. that happens in that film is like throwing in madonna all the time like there's a good scene then suddenly he pulls out this power glove which has like lord Morrow man electricity flying out of it that's i'm just doing that reference because i've been doing research on Brosnan. <laughs> but for no reason there's no reason why madonna's there there's no reason why he's got a power glove that the divisible car's almost pointless it, it, it doesn't. Yeah, it's in it much less than I remember. Yeah. It's also the the windsurfing bit, yeah. which everyone references as well with the CGI, is in much less than I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Probably cost um, hundreds of thousands of pounds to put all that extra stuff in. He didn't need it. He didn't. That invisible. When the car goes invisible, it's just it's just a slight convenience. He's not like he doesn't need it. He could have just driven a bit further and not been seen. 
Very strange yeah, thrown in all those bits. Film has a very, very underwhelming ending as well. Um, yeah, mm. it's it's with such the, as it's that I mean, plane sequence. It's sad that Brosnan didn't know that he, that was his last film because it it was a such a bad bowing out, and and a lot of the Bonds get the opportunity to bow out, and I mean Craig, Craig's had two opportunities to bow out. Yeah, um, yeah, and some of the early ones, I, I mean. View to a kill. That's again not a good opportunity. But he did know he was. That was his last one. Whereas Brosnan's probably gone into this thinking, "Don't worry about this. Got another one coming up." But that uh... that also benefits his performance because you can't deny he's not bored. He's having fun. No, no. Like he's having a whale of a time. Yeah, I think. Yeah, but I think when you're filming it, it looked good. But all the problems are in post. Yeah, majority of those problems are just they've messed it up in editing. Mm. Some of the stuff he probably didn't even know was going to happen. Yeah. We're think, talking about a, a, a science fiction action film that, that's come in the wake of The Matrix. And yeah. you can almost feel some of that creeping into this mm. film. Yeah. A lot yeah. Of the, there's a lot of slow-mo, weird, weird slow-mo yeah. effects that, that absolutely take you out yeah. of this film. It's like the Moonraker um, effect, isn't it? Where you're throwing in space stuff because it's, it's because everything else is doing space, but badly. And all of this stuff in here, you can't compete with any of the... It's 2002. There's some amazing films coming out then. And some of the CGI and stuff is far superior to what you see in... If you look at, look at Lord of the Rings CGI compared to the CGI in Die Another Day, which is the same yeah. year, yeah, leagues apart. But we were, we were saying when we were talking about it, you could re-edit that film and make it better by deleting most of the CGI. Mm. And that, But they've... Yeah. It just... The fact that they've got it all in there just ruins it for me because... They've made it worse themselves. The good stuff's in there. It's not like they, they needed to add stuff in. They could have just slightly changed it and it would have been a much better film. But this isn't Brosnan's fault again. You know, he's put in a good performance. I mean, maybe when yeah. he stood in front of the green screen the whole time, he could have said, do we need all this? <laughs> but, yeah. you know. Yeah. and But I, I, it's Brosnan has, has done a service to the Bond legacy. Mm. In his, uh, I, I, talk, I think I've talked about this before where I always see the Brosnan um, series as like a transitional phase. It's a mess. The whole thing is a bit of a mess. There's no Mm. consistency. There's no... I mean, the poor guy's holding it together every time. It's him that's doing it. If you'd have had another actor in there that wasn't as good as Brosnan, some of those films would have just been awful. I mean, they probably would have made money, but they're not going to be watchable. And it's a transitional phase. And what he's done in those is he's managed to generate... Just hold that thing together whilst they learn what they want to do. And it was Craig's era that... Barbara was probably thinking about this Craig era quite early on. Mm. And, uh, do you they, think, though, in, 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 say, another 10, 15 years' time, we'll look back on them, or people will look back on them, like we look back on the Roger Moore films, where we think, oh, you know, they were hokey in places, but, you know, they kept the franchise going, and, and I really love Roger. I feel like that's where we're headed with Piers Brosnan. I think once, there's, I think once we get another actor after Daniel Craig... Mm the rose-tinted glasses will come on and we will look back at these films and die another day where people will reappraise and say, you know, it was of its time. Yeah, I d- I'm not sure. I can't quite... Uh, I'd like to think that would happen. In, in, at the moment, in my mind, I can't imagine a time where I look back at that with rose-tinted glasses. But um, I don't know. I just <laughs> but, think... But the next generation might because yeah. they'll be able to see it with that distance. We watched yeah. these th- films as they unfolded. I have a feeling dis- that the earlier Bond films, like Sean Connery and Roger Moore... In those days, that was the action star, an older man who was cool and debonair. In the 90s and early 2000s, that wasn't cool. It wasn't like the action stars were young, muscular, like technological 
Um, Keanu Reeves, Jason Bourne, yeah. action heroes. So, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, for us, we were we were Bond fans, so we loved it. But I don't think it had the same effect on people as all the other films going on at the time. I don't think they're going to be fondly remembered by, you know, young people that didn't like Bond. Because he's 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 not that he wasn't that cool. He's not that cool in these films in comparison to some of the other films going on at the time. Hmm. Well, I think we can't again we can't lay anything at Brosnan's feet on on this one. It's, you are right. It's a shame it is his last film. But but what happened after Die Another Day? Well, um, I thought one of the things that that it's, it it didn't really happen after Die Another Day. It was a more of accumulation of of, of the films that that went on. Um, but one of the things that crops up quite a lot throughout the the Brosnan era films is the product placement, and it is madness. I mean, there's product placement in a lot of Bond films. There, even from the start, it's like a big it's like a big thing. But in the Brosnan era, oh my goodness, it was relentless, and you can see it with stuff like the BMW deal where. That was a, a, a three-film deal where BMW was everywhere in it, and it was the first time where Aston Martin wasn't the the, the main car. Apparently, uh, Die Another Day, there was Eon had a lot of flack from from fans and critics about just the unashamed amount of product placement that was happening in these films, and apparently, uh, the 130 million pounds it cost to make Die Another Day had already been covered by sponsorship deals before the film had even hit the box office. So you can see that. I mean, I don't know if that's MGM who, you know, pushing for for the money to be made, and and you know, you talk about that one billion pound. That's not just box office. That's all the sponsored sponsorship deals, which is a ridiculous number amount of money to make from from sponsorship deals, and that's what Bond generates. And if you've got something like Bond, and you know it can make one hundred thirty million pounds through sponsorship, and you you're the production company or what the distributors. And the stakeholders, you're going to say, do it, make that money. There's so much that that goes on in in those films and product placement. There's um, Die Another Day and Tomorrow Never Dies were the were the big ones. And in the earlier Bond Bond films, it kind of fit the products that you had in it were quite cool. Dom Perignon, aspirational, and, yeah, yeah, and all these cool cool brands. Um, I, I even like Sony and stuff in the earlier ones were still. You can see Bond using those those things, but. As it comes into the Tomorrow Never Dies ones, it's just anything. It's like L'Oreal, obviously BMW, Sony Ericsson, Heineken, all these brands that are just thrown in. Die Another Day's got just 7-Up and Visa, Energizer, Best Buy, British Airways, Skidoo, just like just so many brands that they've just thrown into this kind of this, this kind of deals, which they just don't fit. And they, if it doesn't fit with Bond, like it's not an Aston Martin, it's not a Briony suit, it's just jarring, and um, there was yeah, there was a lot of fallout that came off the back end of it, and a lot of people were saying these brands aren't even British. They're he's got a Swedish phone, he's got a German car. It, it's no longer you know Bond smart product placement. It's just an advert. But and then and Brosnan talks about it as well, and uh, it, I think there's various accounts where Brosnan's not too keen on all this product placement that's going in the films. But he did say by the end of it. He, uh, he talks about Fleming. Fleming actually puts a lot of product placement in his books as well. He talk, he has Does. reference to things. Yeah. But it's all Bond product placement. It's things Bond would use to explain Bond. Yeah. Um, so I don't, don't quite agree with this. But he says uh, he wrote about the Sea Island linen shirts. He wrote about the Bollinger. He wrote about the cigarettes. He wrote about the watches. He wrote about the cars. 
So the die was cast there with Fleming. It's one of the things that you kind of have to make peace with, really, and I have. But all those things are cool, whereas Severed Up isn't cool. Yeah, so, Ian, um, Fleming, Ian Fleming wasn't writing them into the books as a part of a deal, was he? No, you it was know, to explain the character. To explain the like, character, yeah. Which is, is a smart way to explain a character by what products they use in exactly. associations. Um, so, yeah, I don't agree with that at all. But, um, yeah, the, yeah, that's something that, I mean, it continues into the Craig ones. Yeah. The oh, placement. it's even it's even bigger now, right? With yeah. the Craig ones. But there's a, I think there's I mean there's a, there are some jarring product placements in Craig, but the, to an extent a lot of them the product placements are smart. They do fit with it. But yeah, it's there's it, no way of getting away from it now. I think once you've built that behemoth of making money from sponsorships, he's never going to be able to you can't stop it. No. That's that's part of why it's so popular. And I imagine in the 90s they were so especially in the early 90s when they started making these Money was a massive worry. So if you can make the money for the film before you've started, sorted, and it can tank. Yeah. So uh, after Die Another Day, uh, Brosnan did, you know, was talking up his future as Bond. He told reporters at the time, the producers have told me the role is mine as long as I like. And in another interview, he said, I would like to do another one. Sure. Connery did six. Six would be a, a good number. And then I would never come back. So he was dead set on making at least a couple more after the die, after die another day. And um, according to Martin Campbell, who obviously directed Casino Royale and Goldeneye, the, the next film in development was going to be another original story. It wasn't always going to be Casino Royale. So Martin Campbell said in an interview in 2012, Casino Royale was not going to be the next film. They were developing another script. But then, after a long battle, the Broccolis suddenly got the film rights to the first Bond novel, Casino Royale, despite Quentin Tarantino bidding against them. And this is where Quentin Tarantino sort of comes into the story because Tarantino famously wanted to make a Bond film with, with Brosnan. He was a huge fan of Brosnan. And actually, I could go into a lot of detail about Tarantino I think we will do save it for the tea tea for Tarantino in in late in a later episode so I won't go too much into it the idea was is that Tarantino was bidding it to get hold of the Casino Royale rights with Sony because Sony had the rights at that point to make his his rival Bond film Mm -hmm. but um and that really caught the attention of the Broccolis who then thought no we want to do this and that's really why it put Casino Royale on the table that's according to Martin Campbell don't know how, how true mm-hmm. that is so T- Tarantino was upset about losing out on the chance there he said I would uh, it would have been my James Bond film not a cubby broccoli Bond film and I would have done it with Piers Brosnan and he, he cites Brosnan as being like the best James Bond in his opinion which you know is an interesting choice for a filmmaker like Tarantino you think a discerning filmmaker like that mm. might go for you know a bit of a snobby choice you know but actually no he says Brosnan's best and, and, and I think that chimes with what we're saying right yeah, he was a great Bond. Yeah. The Bond films maybe weren't yeah. up to, and, mm-hmm. and you can kind of see something like the Matador. Yeah. That feels very Tarantino esque in in how he plays that, and you can, Absolutely. and he's quite versatile in what he does. So you can see Bond, you can see Brosnan changing the way he does Bond towards a more Tarantino style, which is a testament to Brosnan. He's, he's he does do a lot of different roles, and he, he pulls them all off really well. So Casino Royale became part of the plan um, because the. The rights had come to the back to Eon in 1999 after the Kevin McClory situation was was finally settled. 
But according to reports, it was salary demands from Piers Brosnan that caused issues. Now, Brosnan denies this, but it's obviously you're never going to get to the bottom of the truth. But Mm. apparently Brosnan's agent was asking for $25 million for the fifth film, plus 5% gross. And 5% gross is massive on a a Mm. Bond film, right? They they said no. uh, Brosnan arranged a face-to-face meeting with Barbara and Michael to appeal his case. And they just said no. There was no, He said that there was not even a chance to appeal. He said he was just completely kicked to the curb. Even though this meeting, they said that we're going to go down a different route. He still felt like there was a chance that he could still come back because, as he, as you know, as with the case with Eon, he until they announced the next actor, yeah. you know, the current incumbent Bond is the is the Bond yeah. of, of on record, right? Mm-hmm. Sony then bought uh, MGM in tw- two thousand and four, and this delayed the development of the next Bond film after Die Another Day. And I think it was this whole change in management and change in the post 9-11 era. They just thought, you know, they were looking at Casino Royale. It's the first Bond book. It was going to be a reboot, a rehash, a restart. And it just felt like, you know, that it was time for a new face. And so this is Brosnan talking about losing the role. He said, there's no regret. He says now, I do not let regret come into my world. It just leads to more misery and more regrets. Bond is the gift that keeps giving and has allowed me to have a wonderful career. Once you're branded as a Bond, it's with you forever. So you better make peace with it. You better understand that when you walk through those doors and pick up the mantle of being James Bond. So there was a time where he thought he was going to play Bond for a fifth time. Uh, He was in Malibu and they called him and said, we'd like you to do the fifth. He said, I'd love to. He told his wife, Keely, go and build your dream house because I'm doing the movie. They've just invited me back. He went off then to make another f- a film in the, in the interim time, a film called After the Sunset. Um, and one day he said he was going to the set. The phone rang. It was his agent and said, they've started negotiations on the film. And he said, oh, what does that mean? He says, well, don't want, they, they don't want to negotiate anymore. They'll call you next Thursday. He said, OK. So he waited a week. Next Thursday came. He was then in the Bahamas, uh, Richard Harris's house. I don't know if you can remember, but there is a connection to Richard Harris through his first wife, Cassandra. But yeah, Barbara and Michael called. They said they'd rethought the character and that was it. They were putting, putting him putting him to bed as Bond. Uh, they said goodbye. He said that was it. They told him you were a good Bond. And this is what he said. He said that's how it went down at the time. And that, and that certainly dug into the solar plexus of life mm. just because it was pretty gut-wrenching and because it had been somewhat heralded that I was coming back. But that's just business. And you're the one caught in the crosshairs. Yeah. Apparently his press agent at the time told him that he should announce that he was resigning from the role as, as Timothy Dalton had done. Mm. But he said that he didn't want to do that. Uh, he said that would have, been, would have been a lie to himself. Um, and that it was their decision that, and that they would be have to be the ones to announce it. So, yeah. yeah, he says, you get on and you work. You just get back in the ring and try to define yourself and not let there be angst over it. Head up, shoulders back. Yeah, so that was it. He, he'd been dealt that blow and that was his, his career as, as Bond over. And, and not long after that, they, they announced Daniel Craig as the next Bond for Casino Royale, the film he wanted to make. Yeah, yeah. sad, but... It's if you think about it, if you're going to reboot a series, it's all you can do. Is you can't hold on for another two films with a man. It's um, yeah. yeah, poor old Brosnan. Especially in this new era with new owners of MGM, if they were looking at it saying we we want a whole new era of James Bond, they want a new face, right? They want to have put their own. Yeah, you couldn't yeah. stamp on there's it. No, there's nothing you could have done with Brosnan. It would have been. He was. I mean, what was he? Forty. 
Nine in Dying Forty nine. Yeah. And yeah. I mean he was looking good in it. I was I think he could have made one more, maybe two, if they'd done them quickly, but that it's you can't plan a the next stage of a you know, the bit of business based on, on that. It would have just been a couple of quick wins and that'd be it. I think for me from so a, did he do from next? a sent- sentimental point of view I think he's he he deserved one more. He'd there would might there might not be any bond without him. Yeah. Oh yeah, he deserved one more, and it, it would have been yeah. good. But yeah, couldn't uh, couldn't halt the process, could you? No, but he it, it didn't deter him from uh, making films in any way, shape, or form. I'm going to rattle through these because he's done over thirty films since. Well, he, what, um, are we going to do a separate one on your love of Mamma Mia? <laughs> That's in here. Don't worry. I'm going to just skim across it. Don't. It's... Okay. <laughs> so yeah, he did, he made Evelyn. He made After the Sunset as we yeah, he was on set for that when he discovered he'd lost the role. And in 2005, as you mentioned earlier, The Matador. That is probably as close you're going to get to a, a Tarantino performance from mm. Brosnan. And I watched this last week, and so it's about a. Um, a businessman played by Greg Kinnear and like a, a end of his career jaded hitman played by Pierce Brosnan. And they meet in a bar and they strike up a unlikely friendship. And he's he's not, you know, he's 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 a problematic character, problematic man. You know, he's flawed, and he plays it so well. It's it it's won some. It was nominated for some awards, but it's very under the radar and did do well at the box office. But if you ever get to check it out, it's called The Matador. I would 100% It's almost impossible that. to find anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Just try and track it down. He did Seraphim Falls with another actor that was Liam considered for the role of Bond. Yes, Liam Neeson. So he did that in 2006. He's, I mean, he's, he's doing a film every year, but I'm going to you know, go to the big ones. 2008 which is his highest grossing post-Bond that he's been involved with, it is Mamma Mia. Mm. Uh, $52 million budget, and it made $615 million. So the story is, it's set on a Greek island with a bride called Sophie. She doesn't He's know been who... waiting for this. <laughs> <laughs> Lock the doors. Come on, just skip to the end. <laughs> she doesn't know who her father is, so she's invited three, um, three men to the island to her wedding. Uh, in order for to find out who her father is and, and to give her away, all to the soundtrack of ABBA, ABBA songs, and uh, Pierce Brosnan plays one of the the guys alongside um, Colin Firth and Sarsgaard. What's his first name? Alexander. Stellan. Stellan. <laughs> who am I talking about? His son. Are you talking about his son? Is that his son? Yeah, oh, right. his son. Would have been would have been interesting if he played the role. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he said about the film it was great fun had the time of our life from day one all to the all the way to the end apart from the terror of singing but once you got that under your belt and you came to the theatricality of it and you made peace with your voice it was wonderful to be in the company so you know he had a, a great time and I can't recommend that highly enough if you want something feel good and throw away it, it's as it's as good as it is terrible that's you know <laughs> That's all I can Same say thing you say that. about Die Another Day. <laughs> in 2010, he did The Ghostwriter, and he played former Prime Minister Adam Lang, and he based that performance on Tony Blair. It was also, he got Irish Film and TV Award for Best Supporting Actor. 
and he was nominated for other awards as well. So that's another one to look out for. Solid performance there. Probably not enough Brosnan for my liking. But if you like Ewan McGregor, then there's plenty of Ewan McGregor in that. <laughs> it was in Percy Jackson and the Olympians, uh, The Lightning Thief. And he played a centaur called Chiron. Is that how you pronounce it? Yep. He did a film called Love Is All You Need in 2013. But in 2013, he also did The World's End, where he yeah. played Guy Shepard. Interestingly, which is part of the Cornetto trilogy. And interestingly, in the previous one, in Hot Fuzz, Timothy Dalton plays. So they've... Well, I, I was thinking about this, and it's just a shame they didn't have, like, Lazenby or somebody in the first one, the or first Connery, one, because... I was thinking exactly the same, yeah. Yeah. That would have been brilliant. Or more would have been amazing in it, and he probably would have done it. Yes. Yeah. But I I think they're too too consciously they're casting that consciously, aren't they? Surely. Oh, they did. They did the second oh, one. Definitely. The first one was asleep. Uh, well, it was low budget. They yeah. weren't that famous. They probably couldn't get those stars in. But yeah, and then they were just basically pandering to their like teen loves, weren't they? Getting all their favorite actors in from all their eighties films but yeah they probably couldn't do yeah. it the first one which is a shame yeah so 2014 he did love punch long way down november man november man he plays a spy again so he's he keeps playing spies or that sort of character quite a lot um he looks good when he's holding a gun doesn't he so who know yeah he's got that down <laughs> 2016 he made urge which has got zero percent on rotten tomatoes so probably don't recommend that that one. sounds like it's worth watching i'd love to see a zero percenter <laughs> And he also did uh, a film that I, I clicked. I was like, "It, it." He made it. Uh, it's not it. It's it. It. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. I've seen the front cover of that. It's questionable front cover. Fair enough. He was also executive producer on that. Um, right. The Foreigner, which is on Netflix, uh, is directed by Martin Campbell, who worked with on Goldeneye, of course. Mm-hmm. And the sequel to Mamma Mia in twenty eighteen. Again, another hit. Seventy-five million budget, three hundred ninety-five million at the box office. That's quite Reprise- a lot lower, though, isn't it? I'm surprised by that. It is, yeah. Well, there's not. They don't do it. They do the B sides. That's uh, the that's the problem. Um, yeah. And he said about this one, I don't sing as much in this one, but there's certainly a sense of cringe making when it comes to singing. You're very vulnerable. One is very vulnerable. Singing is not well, it's necessarily car- it's a karaoke film, isn't it? That's what people <laughs> like about it. The Brosnan exactly. can't, isn't quite that that like a professional singer. Singing is not necessarily my forte. I enjoy singing. I'm not quite sure other people enjoy my singing, but they have good entertainment value out of my singing, which is mm. very true. It's widely panned how bad and compared to the you know, awful sort of sounds. Uh, to his credit, sort of though, he, out. he plays it. as, as that, That's how he plays it. People yeah. know he's not a good singer in it and people love it because of that, because he's he's not that bothered about it it's, uh, no, it's I think he comes off very well in I've only seen the first one Brendan I apologise but uh, it does oh, come off very to, well you in you need to brush up on your Mamma Mia but mm. no he, he. I mean in all of these films it doesn't matter if he's in a total turkey he always he's good value you know he, he'll put put in a performance it's just necessarily yeah. the script is not always the best yeah he's Roger Moore isn't he people just love him <laughs> uh, final score which is Basically, Die Hard in a football stadium is uh, is the way that Sky sort of promoted it as. Um, he, he, All those he... people that love Die Hard but always <laughs> wanted to see it in a football stadium. <laughs> so that was actually shot at, at Upton Park, which is West Ham Football Club's uh, stadium. Uh, as it was being knocked down, they, they, so they blew that to smithereens. Uh, and he plays a bad guy in that. So if you want to see Pierce Brosnan sort of going against his, his normal character... 
then then this is the one for you. Eurovision, I've not seen. Have either of you seen Eurovision? No. no. He plays Will Ferrell's dad, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And then upcoming, he's uh, he's going to be in Cinderella 2021. And then mm. that, that brings us to... There is also a lost film called The King's Daughter, which was shot in 2014 and has gone missing. Hmm. That's a Chinese film, I think, is it? It's gone missing. Um, well, gone missing from the release schedule. It's not... They haven't lost it. Right. Um, I, was, I was really excited by that. <laughs> delve into that a bit more. Not, not like a Dad's Army episode or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Step two. But they, he plays uh, Louis the Fourteenth. Um, I've seen a clip of it. He looks good. He's got the long hair, you know. Mm. But yeah, don't know when the release is coming for that. I'd love to see him back as Bond in a in a sort of Logan esque. Oh, that would last be mission. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Well, another never say never Someone... again. Yeah. They should have a. But wouldn't it be great if every Bond was contracted to do a never say never again ten years later? Oh. <laughs> but I'd just love to see him one more time as Bond. I think it would be an amazing opportunity after Daniel Craig just to do a one-off. Yeah. Give the fans what they really want mm. and then and then start with start afresh with a new one. It'd be an amazing opportunity, but he looks so good now as well with his white hair and his white beard. Yeah, he looks like Colonel good. Sanders, but like yeah. his little twizzled cool. moustache. <laughs> yeah. I think that's an absolute pipe dream though, isn't it? Yeah, not going to happen. No. <laughs> What else is there to say about his post-Bond life? Well, in his personal life, the biggest thing that's happened to him, and um, you, you see here in all of his photos from premieres to speeches that he does, is um, he, he married a lady called Keely Shea Smith. Now, for the UK listeners, we don't really know much about Keely. Her main fame, apart from being married to, to, to Brosnan, um, is that she? she's an American journalist, uh, an author, a television host, and an actress. She's uh, She's had two sons with Brosnan, Dylan Thomas and Paris Beckett Brosnan. But yes, yeah, she, she was famous for presenting loads of different shows in, in America, none of which we'd have ever seen in the UK. Kind of like, uh, you know, kind of this morning type shows and, and, and stuff like that. But an interesting fact is that, uh, and you should, you should check this out, is um, she played the main kind of love interest in Huey Lewis in the News music video, Stuck With You, which I watched <laughs> yesterday, which I completely forgot about that song, but it's, it's very good. And yeah, she's like the main the main love interest in that, so it's worth watching. She was also an actress in, uh, she played Valerie Freeman uh, in General Hospital, which I've never seen, probably not going to either. Aside from those kind of, you know, jobs that she's had originally she's most famous or most active as kind of a really important person in uh, environmental ethics all that kind of stuff which of course Brosnan is and I know uh, Brendan's going to talk about that in a bit Uh, so I won't go into depth about all that but a lot of her past career is all about kind of the presenting role she did around those areas and probably something that maybe caused them to meet because obviously they've both got big interests in, in all those kind of things around environment and natural resources. They met on a beach in Mexico in 1994, so just before GoldenEye was eventually released, or year before GoldenEye was released, um, and then didn't get married until August in 2001 in County Mayo in Ireland. But yeah, apart from that, she's uh, yeah she still works very much with, with Brosnan on a lot of projects, but um, obviously she's, she's more famous now for 
always being with him and and he he mentions her in he mentions her in a lot of the speeches he does a lot of, uh, when he when he did the walk of fame he he he, he talked about her there so that's keely shay smith or keely shay brosnan as she's now known interestingly uh dine of the day wasn't the last time that pierce brosnan played bond um in some form in 2003 the Everything or Nothing computer game was released across multiple formats, so PlayStation 2, Xbox, GameCube, and also had a different version that was released on the Game Boy Advance, which I think I've got, so I might play that later tonight to, to see what it's like. <laughs> it, it, it was enormously successful. It sold 5 million copies uh, worldwide, making it the second most successful game in the series. I think you can probably guess what the first one was. It's a third-person <laughs> shooter. It's got its own storyline. The cast list is phenomenal. It's got... Uh, as well as Brosnan, it's got Judy Dench, Willem Dafoe and John Cleese, along with a load of other actors. So pretty big budget. You can see that they were try- really trying to push it. I think probably trying to relive that GoldenEye success from, from many years ago, which they'd obviously tried with a few games and, and it didn't work. But yeah, they, they instead of focusing on the game, it sounds like they focused more on the storyline than they did on, in, in GoldenEye. But it was written by... The scriptwriter, uh, Bruce Fierstein, who did, of course, who worked on Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies, and the plot's connected to Roger Moore's A View to a Kill, which seems a very strange concept. I don't know why they've, <laughs> why they've done that. Yeah, so we've got a lot of positive reviews. I looked at... I, I, I watched a few videos of it. I've never actually played it. It's... Um, yeah, it's very much as you'd expect from a, a game of that era. It looks like a mix of Metal Gear Solid, little bit of... GTA, it's very, I mean, a little bit of time crisis as well, um, but it's just shooting constantly, running around, um, and some of the cutscenes are really funny. So if you go in, just look for um, everything or nothing cutscenes, and I mean, the, back in those days, the, the, the computer graphics for cutscenes wasn't great, but when you try and make a computer cutscene in those, in those days look like the character, it's so bad. That's why in GoldenEye, it looks fine because they're not meant to be like the people. You, you, he's not. They're not trying to make it look like Pierce Brosnan. But obviously, he's voicing this really bad character creation of of, of his of his his Bond character. It's just stupid. Well worth a look though. And but I'm not sure if it's worth playing. I think you've played it, haven't you, Brendan? Yeah, years ago when it first came out. Yeah, I, I remember sure. enjoying it. So <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. I'm not sure how I missed that one. But it's, I, I've not been able to get. A, well, not been able to play it on anything. So um, I might see if I can get an emulator for that. But um, yeah, everything or nothing. The last time Brosnan played Bond. Well, let's let's round things off now, just with a sort of brief mention of a couple more things. Just that it would be remiss to leave out if talking profiling Brosnan. One being his work as an artist. Uh, if you follow me on Instagram, he's he's always touting his paintings yeah. that he's done. And if you remember back when we did the first episode, he, he, that was his passion, right? Painting when he was at school. That was very much his. Mm. Um, mm. One of his, uh, one of his great loves, and um, he, he really took it up again in 1987 when um, Cassandra fell ill. Um, he said that he finds it therapeutic. He, uh, in an interview, he said, he, "I started painting again in 1987 when my, when my late wife had cancer. I'd been painting out of the pain, and now the pain sometimes comes out in colour." 
Um, he says that I classify myself as a colorist. I enjoy the vibrancy of great colors. I love trying to create something that's beautiful. Art for me has become more of a focal point in my life. Uh, and he's got a studio in his house uh, and he's working on art all the time. Mm, yeah. um, interestingly, when Keeley had a documentary at Cannes, they asked him to submit a piece of art for a an auction, the Amphar AIDS auction. He'd just done a painting of Bob Dylan. He put it up for auction, sold for $1.4 million. Wow. Um, well, it's which definitely is insane. If you want to be an artist, it's definitely worth being a Bond first because <laughs> you're probably going to get a little bit more interest in your paintings after that. But yeah, so he's he's always talking about putting on exhibitions and stuff, and yeah, worth worth checking out. Um, yeah, he's recently just uh, been. That, uh, I've seen a lot of posts where he's he's posting about the uh, earplug earplugs thing earplugs, yeah. he did during Goldeneye. Um, yeah, during and, there, and there's a lot of I didn't talk about it. It was so stressful working on Bond films, as we you, you know from all of the actors that talk about it, that you don't just get normal downtime. You so he he had to do things to kind of keep his mind off work and and he did yoga and stuff but yeah painting was a, a big one during the during the breaks that he'd have on on set and uh, yeah i i think that's a great painting that, of the earplugs mm. yeah very pop arty isn't yeah. it and brendan you're going to talk about his charity work yeah i thought finally we'd just touch on his sort of charity work and activism he's been uh, an ambassador for unicef ireland since 2001 along with liam neeson so they they did a video together a few years back to promote it He's also big against the protection of marine life and the conservation of wetlands, so much so that he was an, awarded a, a Green Cross Leadership Award by Mikhail Gorbachev in 1997, who called Pierce a truly committed leader whose bold actions and clever voice have been instrumental in marine mammal protection, as well as that of fragile ecosystems. Uh, together with his wife, they are quite keen to to protect all the uh, marine life and also a bit closer to home where they they own a house in in Hawaii and they donated a hundred thousand dollars to replace a playground they also donated a large portion of their proceeds from their wedding so they obviously got coverage from that and donated it to help uh, build a Tibetan school so it means that the kids can have classes there and and also the profits from his sales as we mentioned with the paintings that that is distributed by the Brosnan Trust to charities throughout uh, that that are of the interest of him and his wife and he also I just thought I'd finish on this quote if I hadn't been an actor I probably would have been a social worker Acting is great, but sometimes it can feel rather redundant in a world which is flying by the seat of its pants. So you can see that, like throughout his career, like he's he's very uh, keen to to have a voice, yeah, you know, and help help those in need. Yeah, I mean, not even he's... not even his kind of extracurricular stuff. Even in, you can see from his personal life, he's very mm. keen on helping people, and he's very what, a very giving giving man. He's very he's dignified. Definitely... Yeah, very dignified yeah, and. I think he's used his fame well, very much like Connery and, yeah. and, and Roger Moore did as well. You know, they're very yeah. dedicated to helping others with their with their. Yeah, it's, it's strange that I don't know if that's as a result of Bond, but it's definitely a yeah an ethos that runs through through them. Yeah, I think yeah. it just sort of speaks a lot about you know the people behind the Bond films as well who really want to work with the really dignified people. You you don't see these people yeah. in in too many scandals. 
but yeah, I think yeah. I guess I guess it, in summing up, then um, how would you sort of define Brosnan's era as Bond? In a word, I would say important. I, I just I think with without without the era and what, what he did, and to to pull in the performances that he did because he didn't have the greatest scripts or not necessarily you know the the crew working on it, it all didn't come together as well. But he remained professional and he put in a performance that was worthy of all of the other ones you know he's up there yeah i i think that i think he's brilliant i think there's a lot of unfairness with with brosnan as a series i think if you look at roger roger obviously did a lot more films some of them weren't great some of them were good but he had so many that he just it's fine he did some bad ones did some good ones same with connery connery's a good so you have that kind of longevity where you look back and you go brilliant just you can you can pick out the two or three best ones don't worry about the other ones Brosnan didn't have that opportunity he he got four and he didn't get dealt the best hand and it, it was the time he was in it was the the way that the whole your broccoli system was working at the time he just dealt he got dealt some bad hands but he made a great job of it and despite all that he still goes down as you know one of the one of the top bonds and um yeah, I think I, I'm pretty clear that we're we're big fans of Brosnan. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think he's just did a tremendous job, but just didn't get dealt the best hand. I totally agree. Great Bond, uh, let down possibly by by having, yeah, n- not been dealt. I think that's a great phrase. Not been dealt the best hand in terms of the Bond films that he he worked on, but he really made the most of it. And as I said before, whether this is something we were talking about before, I feel like he's the first actor who really wanted to play Bond. You know, Connery, he got the role when Bond wasn't a thing. Lazenby yeah. sort of fell into the part for the fame almost. That might be unfair on, yeah. on Lazenby. Yeah. Roger Moore, you know, he was almost des- he was destined to play that role because of everything that he'd done before. He was just playing that type, right? The Saint. Yeah. Oh, that's- well, I, I love Roger, but he... Roger was just happy doing it, wasn't he? He was just—he was so pleased to get it. He wasn't. It was just an extension of him, isn't it? That's but yeah. that's what I feel about Roger yeah. Moore, and I love Roger Moore. I'd say he's probably my favourite yeah. go-to Bond to watch at any time. But just—it was almost—it felt like it was handed to him, and he was yeah. just thank you very much. Yeah, and it was an extension it. of Cheers. that, and and he was great. He was effortless. He made it look effortless. Dalton, you know, he got he got dealt a bum hand. He's a great actor who, you know, from looking into it from Brosnan, was almost the second choice for it. He wanted to do something different. He tried it. It didn't work out. I don't feel like he was ever backed that well by everything else around it. But Brosnan comes into it. He loves the role. He wants the role. He wants to play the role. He could have yeah. played the role for another 10 years if, he, if he'd been let. But, yeah. yeah. And, he's, and if you think about it, there's a lot of debate over Bond as to... Some people love Roger. Some people don't like Roger. Some people love Connery. Some people don't. Everybody just likes Brosnan. He's 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 not. He may not be everyone's favorite. He may not be that many people's favorite. But he's consistently mm-hmm. liked by everyone. And I think that's the thing with his films. I enjoy watching them. I still. I mean, Connery is my favorite at the moment. But Brosnan's not. I, I mean, he's still up there. Yeah. One for the Hall of Fame. I mean, <laughs> well, you'd expect it if he wasn't in the Hall of Fame. I mean, <laughs> You have to question this Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, what an epic journey we've been on with Piers Brosnan. Mm. I can't wait to talk about someone else next week. <laughs> <laughs> Where we will finally move on to the letter C. 
I can't believe we've done oh, only wait. done two letters, and we've still got. Thankfully, uh, some of the letters have only got like one or two entries. So when we get to X, we'll be like, yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, I'm sure we'll We're find sc- something. Scrattling around for for anything. <laughs> but the next Bond actor we'll do will be Connery, I guess, which is going to be another yeah. epic uh, special. Well, C is going to be one hell of a ride, isn't it? Because we've got a lot going in there, a lot of specials. Yeah. Yeah. And then D. Yeah, it's going to be. Oh, yeah, got two Casino Royales to do. Connery. Oh, Craig. Yeah. Craig. We're going to be on C till the summer. <laughs> Which summer? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for listening. As always, please leave us a review or, you know, a comment wherever you're listening to this podcast. We really appreciate it. How can people find us on social media? Who wants to take that? At James Bond A to Z. And that's on instagram twitter and facebook and if you want to email us email us at podcast at jamesbondatoz.co.uk thank you very much for listening i hope you enjoyed this james bond will return in the next episode thanks a lot ciao the james bond a to z podcast features tom butler brendan duffy and tom wheatley the podcast was produced by tom wheatley with music by Tom Inglemels and artwork supplied by Helen Dolly. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis, The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.